Revelation 1, 9 through 20. Tôi là dân thân hữu của anh chị em cùng chia sẻ hoạn nạn và dự phòng trong vương khúc Đức Đức Chúa Trời và anh chị em. Tôi ở tù trên bảo mạch Bác Mô này vì truyền giảng đạo đức Chúa Trời và làm chứng cho Chúa Giêsu Nhằm ngày của Chúa, tôi được thánh linh cảm và nghe có tiếng gọi sau lưng vang dội như tiếng lo. Hãy ghi chép những điều con thấy về gể cho bảy hội thánh tại Ephesus, Simacno, Bacam, Thyatira, Sardai, Philadelphia và Laodicea. Quay lại để xem ai vừa nói, tôi thấy bảy giá đèn bằng vàng. Giữa các giá đèn, có ai giống như con người, mặc áo dài, nhược thách đai vàng, tóc ngài trắng như lông chiên, như như tuyết, mắt sáng như ngọt lửa, chân chân như đồng sáng loáng trong lò, tiếng nói vang ầm như thắt đổ. Tay phải ngài cầm bảy ngôi sao, miệng có thanh gươm hai lưỡi sắc bén, mắt sáng rực như mặt trời trong loại giữa trưa. Vừa thấy Chúa, tôi ngã xuống trong ngài như chết, nhưng ngài nhưng Ngài đặt tay phải lên mình tôi, ôn tồn bảo, đừng sợ, ta là đầu tiên và cuối cùng là đông sống, ta đã chết nhưng nay ta sống đợi đợi. Giữ chìa khóa của chết và âm phủ, vậy hãy ghi chép những việc con vừa thấy và những việc sắp xảy ra. Đây là ý nghĩa bảy ngôi sao trong tay phải ta và bảy giá đèn bằng vàng. Bảy ngôi sao là bảy thiên, th- thiên sứ của bảy hội thánh. Còn bảy giá đèn là bảy hội thánh. Thank you Tam Win for reading that our passage today in the book of Revelation. We will turn to Revelation chapter 1. As you can imagine, preparing to preach a series on the book of Revelation to John is quite intimidating. It has brought with it a different level of angst and at the same time, a whole new level of excitement. And for those of you who have known me for very long, me and exciting, we get along pretty well. Not only has it been a daunting task to prepare for, I've made it more difficult for myself uh, because I'm going to try to accomplish uh, getting all the way through this book in a short period of time. I realize that over the last couple of years, we've taken like extremely long books in just one sermon. So you might be thinking like, why is this any different? In fact, you've got way more time than that. But the complexities of this book bring about a unique necessity to spend more time here. And even though uh, I will not attempt to do it in only one week, I'm planning to condense it all into 10 weeks. To put that into perspective, other pastors that I really respect, in fact, ones that I went to for my study time, commentaries I used, sermon series I used to, to try to glean some insight uh, I, guys like David Platt took 13 one-hour long sermons. 
Matt Chandler took another 15. John Piper took 19 and didn't cover all of it. Danny Aiken took 32 sermons. And John MacArthur took 45 sermons. That became a two-volume commentary. So we're going to do all of that in 10. <sighs> I'm not getting nervous right now. We haven't even really started. As a result, I, I want you to kind of have this as a heads up. Do, do not be disappointed that we don't get to cover all of the, the intricacies that you want to cover. Not only can I not explain them, but we won't have time for me to try to explain them all. So before we go any further, I would like for you to hear a definition of the book of Revelation that I think will help us every week as we come to it. In fact, as long as you study this book, I think this definition will help you. It, it is certainly helping me as I have unpacked this book over the last several months. So the book of Revelation is a series of apocalyptic visions intended to make known the clear promise of Christ's coming return and eternal reign as a means to offer hope, expect obedience, and inspire worship. I want to say that again. In fact, I'm going to probably say this every week because I, I think it will be helpful for us every week to be reminded when we come to this book, what, what should we be anticipating? So let's hear it again. The book of Revelation is a series of apocalyptic visions intended to make known the clear promise of Christ's coming return and eternal reign as a means to offer hope, expect obedience, and inspire worship. Now, I want you to notice that nowhere in this definition are words about confusion. Numbers, colors, charts, graphs, timelines, arguments, or divisions. Instead, we must remember why John wrote this in the first place, and even who he wrote this to. Remember how often John does not even have the, the words to adequately describe or express what he's trying to say? He has to use phrases like, like, as, in the appearance of, about this size, as it were, as many as the sand on the shore. Every, everything is these type phrases. It's like there's, there's, not enough, there's not enough words in any language to be able to describe the beauty and the magnificence of what, and, and even the, the uh, degree of horror in some cases, that he is trying to describe. We've already had the text read for us, but I would venture to guess that most of us in the room don't uh, know Vietnamese really well or at all. <laughs> so I, I want us to look to his word again and hear it. Revelation chapter one, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servants, to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. 
Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Church family, this is a reason for us to study it in and of itself. There is a promise of blessing simply from us reading it and hearing it. So let us, let us receive that gift of blessing from the Lord. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, made us a kingdom, priests to his God and father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. Jesus says, I am the alpha and the omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning, I, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, the golden sash around his chest, the hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like flame of fire. His feet like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. We have to consider a lot today as we try to even get through chapter one in, in this brief time we have left. You think, are you sure it's brief? Trust me. No matter how long I take, it will be brief <laughs> in, in knowing that there's just minutes to try to cover this. So we want to consider the visions. I want to start by considering the visions. Notice where he says, after this. I want you to think about this like, like pulling back a curtain or maybe like peering into a window. 
over and over you'll find throughout the book of Revelation where he says that phrase, after this, I looked. After this, I turned and saw. I, I looked in. I, I saw this. This was shown to me. It's, it's as though he's getting a little scene here, and then he turns and, and gets to into peer into another scene. This becomes really helpful when we start to think of time and all of the, the stuff that comes on that and, and even some of our own uh, the debates and discussions that come after that. Both David Platt and Danny Aiken point to four different interpretations of this book as a whole that I, uh, I, I really think help us consider the visions well. Uh, as they are played out in Revelation. You, don't, uh, you won't have these on the screen behind me, but you can certainly uh, feel free to, to write this down. So the first one is called a preterist view, preterist view, which is that this, this prophecy that we read about is fulfilled in the first few centuries. Okay, so everything in the preterist view sees this as though it's already happened and that it happened pretty quickly after this. There's the historist view, which is a prophecy, as an understanding of this prophecy that it was fulfilled in Western Christian history, that you, you look at it and you kind of look at it through the lens, our lens in particular. Then there's the futurist which is that largely this prophecy is unfulfilled, but will happen one day. Still unfulfilled, but will happen one day. There's the idealist view, which is that uh, it's being and have been fulfilled symbolically throughout. So over and over you see these things and it's really just symbolically fulfilled. But like Platt and Aiken and D.A. Carson and others that I've read of, uh, I find myself seeing truth in all of them. So you might call me like a portionist, right? So on the preterist is consider, how, we wanna consider how they would have heard it then. Again, remember about the, the original intent, what the, the first readers, the first listeners of this book would have heard. The historists consider how every age has been affected by this cosmic battle. Futurists, we want to certainly consider how these truths come to fruition, how the consummation of a new heaven and new earth will one day be. And as an idealist, we have to consider how there are non-literal interpretations in some areas, some pieces and parts. Remember John, John here makes strong use of symbolism. Some readers uh, try to make all of the symbols exact correspondence, which we have to be really careful with. So uh, this is an, ex an example of that would be locust are helicopters, okay? Maybe they are, maybe they are not, but we wanna be real careful with making direct claims about things in this that are not explained. But this is not exactly how symbolism works, right? Even in this passage we read today, think, so... Uh, how can Jesus speak as he does if he has a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth, right? Or how can he lay his hand on John if he's holding seven stars in his hand, 
right? So we, so we have to understand that symbolism is, does play in to this, even the text we're reading today. So we wanna consider all of this when we're considering these visions because all of this is revelation. It's revealing truth. It's a vision. It's something that he sees. So we need to consider the visions, but we also need to consider the church. Remember how I said it felt like I was just rushing a little bit in comparison to some of these other pastors and preachers, especially like a John MacArthur who's taking four, who took four times as long to get through the book of Revelation. And then I, I came to this as I, in my study. I was so encouraged as I thought about the early church who would have received this in one sitting. Right? Like, they would have just sat and heard the one who received this as a letter. Imagine the, being the, the pastor of Pergamum. Hey guys, let's read this today and just sit and, and hear all of this and your mind just going through. And so, so here's the thing. Uh, no, no commentary would have been offered, probably no extra thoughts, just hearing these truths at one time. Remember, that, that the church might have been more used to it then. They were certainly more accustomed to that sort of, of teaching, but the, and they were more accustomed to poetic-like writings than we are. But here's what I, why I think that definition that I read earlier plays so much into this. Remember the intent. As we read and as we study this book, all for hope. It's to expect obedience. It's to inspire worship. Can you imagine then not being so distracted by the color of the horse or the, the lampstand or the bowl or the, the dragon or whatever else the thing is, but just being filled with confidence that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords wins it all. So church, as we get closer and closer to seeing Christ in all of his glory, we can cling closer and closer to his body, to his bride. Which is why we ought to consider the purpose. Once again, I want to read this. I want to overemphasize like almost to the point that it gets a little bit on your nerves that this is being said. This is, this is an understanding of the book of Revelation. It is a series of apocalyptic visions, right? That's where the, the windows come in, right? It's a series of these different pictures that he's getting to see intended to make clear, this is helpful for us, it's intended to make clear, not more muddy, but clear the promise of Christ's coming return and his eternal reign as a means to offer hope, expect obedience, and inspire worship. So with all of that, looking very specifically at this text, I want us to consider the Christ. Again, I think by now, if you have, if this is not your first week that you know from me that... Um, 
that I have said Christ is not Jesus' last name, but instead that it is a descriptor of him. This is that he is the promised one. So Jesus the Christ. We are, con we are considering, we are pondering about him. Dennis Johnson says this, even speaking of this passage, he says, we need to see Jesus to meet his blazing eyes of heart-searching holiness, to wake up at the trumpet blast of his voice, to respond to his jealous demand for exclusive and passionate loyalty, shocked insensibly by the impact of his splendor. We need them being, we need the people of God to hear his words of compassionate comfort, quelling our fears and quaking our hopes. Every congregation, whatever its struggle at its post on the battlefront, needs to fix its eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I don't know what you're going through today. I take that back. Some of you, I do know what you're going through today. I know where your heartache is. Uh, I, you've, you've shared with me it's grief and sorrow and worry, doubts, depression, anxiety, concerns, even, even joys, happiness, excitement, delight. But no matter where you are, it is my desire that today you'll see the beauty of Christ. Not just that you'll see it, as we just read of it, but that you will behold his glory and cherish his majesty. If you're struggling, I want you to find hope in him. If your marriage is crumbling, I want you to find peace with Christ. If you're can. If you're continually choosing to, to struggle, even, even to sing, but you're, you're singing, I want you to be empowered to prevail. If you're weak in your evangelism, I want you to be strengthened because of Christ today. So let's consider this Christ. He is the living example. All right, hey kids, uh, if you're in here, I want you to do something. I want you to draw something for me. I want you to draw what you think Jesus looks like. When you, when you think about all the stories you've heard of Jesus and you've, maybe you've even seen someone else try to draw out what they thought Jesus might look like. And so I want you to draw on a piece of paper what you think Jesus looks like. If you want to, you can listen to some of the descriptions that I'm going to give to help uh, play into that. But even if, even if you kind of tune out because you're, you're super excited about your drawing of Jesus, that's okay. Draw what you think Jesus Jesus looks like. I would love to see that after the service. I'm sure your parents would love to see it as well. So draw what you think Jesus looks like. He is a living example, right? He's the living one, verse 18, right? He's alive still. This is really helpful to be remember, remember for us, reminded for us. Yeah, whatever. It's good for us to know that he's alive. When he says, I'm the living one, I He's like, yes, I did. I died. It happened. I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore. So this, this clarifies 
any doubt. He didn't die again. Right? There are these examples um, of, of people, of, in fact, Jesus raising people from the dead. Right? I think about Lazarus. You know what's different about him? He died again and stayed dead. So then you don't have Lazarus in here saying like, hey, came back to life again. No, this is, this is what happened. Jesus is describing himself as the living one, making sure everybody knows, which by the way, is incredibly significant for us. The fact that Jesus is alive is the reason we have something to hope in. The reason that we should follow and obey. The reason that we should sing hallelujah to the one who conquered the grave. Hallelujah to the one who's made a way. This is how he made a way. He defeated death and Hades. When it says he has the keys to death and Hades, this is saying he reigns over it all. that he has this long robe and a golden sash. This is used actually six or seven times in the Old Testament uh, as a description specifically given to priests. If you think of this example then of Jesus saying, I am I'm the one that stands before the Father on your behalf. We don't, we don't need a, another priest to go to, that they could speak for us. We have the great high priest. We have the one. So, so hear this. When you sin, which you do, I do, you, you don't have to simply confess that to someone else who will confess it for you. When you speak to the Father, you are speaking to him through the Son. Who stands and says, I've made, I've clothed this child in my righteousness. This, this robe and sash isn't just uh, like a, a pleasantry. No, this is an intentional pointing to a descriptor of who Christ is. Hebrews describes him this way. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every aspect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. It's like uh, his make atonement, make payment for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This long robe, golden sash, he's got white hair. I'm getting whiter hair, but I don't think this is exactly what it's describing. This white hair is actually uh, describing this, this picture where he is the, the ancient of days. David mentioned that in, in Daniel 7, this, this picture that he's infinitely old and infinitely wise. His eyes of fire. Did you catch that part? Eyes, verse 14, eyes were like a flame of fire. I think about the all-knowing, all-seeing eye but not of 
Mordor or whatever was happening in Lord of the Rings, but the one who sees and penetrates not just what's happening out in the world, but penetrates and sees into your heart, to my heart. He's got feet like burnished bronze. This is a, a picture, an intentional picture of holiness and purity, right? This is refined in a furnace, taking all the impurities out. It's like it's, it's resilient in its, uh, like in its beauty and it shines. It's this burnished bronze in that way. It says that he has a voice of roaring waters. That's, that's loud. But at the same time, it's, it's powerful, right? There's those loud voices that are just like shrieking, right? They're just annoying. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are like, yeah, you. Uh, but then there's that like just booming, powerful, strong voice. And that's what we, we see here. This is to uh, describe authority. That when, when, when John hears this in verse 12, then I turn to see the voice that was speaking to me. Can you just imagine like the chills coming up your spine when you, if you were to be the one who's on an island by yourself in exile and you hear that? <gasps> like, I don't know if I want to turn around. Mm -mm. I'd rather just like, I'll be all right. But then like, no, I, I turn and see and this is what he sees. He, he then sees this sword coming out of the mouth of the one who's speaking. This is, this, is no, this is no joke, right? This is the word. We know this. It's a two-edged sword reminding us of eternal salvation and final judgment. This is the two-edged sword. Sharper than any double-edged sword. Piercing heart marrow. His face is shining like the sun in full strength. Just a few years ago, there was a, like a solar eclipse. Everybody in town, every school ever was like trying to get those little crazy glasses where you could look up at it. Y'all remember that? Because you're not supposed to look at the sun. And it's like, don't look at him. I don't even know if those glasses are going to cut it. And when he describes this, this living one that's conquered death and Hades, he holds the very keys of death and Hades in his hands. This is the Christ, the promised one. But we don't just consider him as the living one. We see him as the suffering savior. He's the lamb that was slain. Throughout the book of Revelation, we will see this over and over. We'll be reminded, even in chapter 5, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We will, we will see this Lamb who could be that propitiation for our sins. This one who took the penalty for your sin. 
He, he took what I deserved. I deserve to spend eternity, everlasting life in death. That's what I deserved. Completely separated from him forever. Death. But he, he, took, he took on death on the cross. He, he took the very wrath of God. Carried it. So you, you look at verse 9 and you see that he was, at the very end it says that uh, he was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. This is the testimony of Jesus. It's not just that like Jesus came and healed people and uh, gave people food when they were out and cast out demons, walked on water. It's that he, it's that he died and came back to life. That's the testimony of Jesus. This is chapter six, verse nine, when it says that I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had become. What are they witnessing to? What are, why is John on this island? Because he's saying that I believe that Jesus lived, died, and rose again. This is why he's being punished. This is why in chapter six, there's this, these, this group of martyrs that is saying, I, I died for the very testimony of Jesus. Revelation 12. This is for those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus, that Jesus lived, died, and rose again. That's the testimony of Jesus. Revelation 20, then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority for, uh, to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. What is that? That they believed that Jesus had lived and died and rose again. This is the Lamb of God, the suffering servant. We don't just believe Jesus was a good teacher. Nobody cares. Nobody's hurting or martyring people or killing people because they just believe Jesus was a good teacher. They're not bothered by that in the first century. They're not bothered by that now. They're bothered when you say he's the only way to salvation. This is the testimony of Jesus, the suffering savior, the one who's offered himself saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's who they're offended by. They're not offended by just thinking that it was a cool guy who walked on water, who said something about broken bread and blood spilt for you. They're, they're, not, they're not offended by uh, five loaves and two fish. They're offended that he claims to be the son of God. They're offended that he says, I am it. I'm the first and the last. This is always reflective then. Every time this testimony of Jesus is mentioned, it's, it's reflection of suffering. They suffered, they're, they're in island of Patmos or as a martyr. Remember, like just think for a minute. When I speak to those in the persecuted church or maybe not me, but when I see and hear of the, the, the persecuted church around the world, do you know the, 
the places in scripture they like the most? Daniel and Revelation. You know why? Not because of all of the stuff nobody understands, but because they hear and see hope. Victory. They see a Christ who's conquered death and Hades and holds the keys, and they say, that's my king. So I'll, I'll suffer. I'll, I'll go through whatever the heartache, whatever the hardship, whatever the punishment, whatever the, the beating, whatever the scourging, whatever the spitting upon, whatever, losing my family, losing my job. I'll take whatever it is because that's my king. There's, that's where hope is found. So they'll say, not only will I take this, but I will continue to proclaim this savior. Proclaiming the name of Jesus will lead to suffering saints. You will be attacked by Satan, slain, beheaded, and exiled. But this Christ is worth proclaiming, even if it costs your life. He's worth it all. So are you willing to risk it all? He is the living one. He is the suffering savior. And he is the reigning king. Verse nine speaks of John, this brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom. You see, suffering saints, we who are going through hardship and heartache here on earth, we will join with him as victorious heirs. We will have victory over sin. We will have the opportunity to lead others to salvation. We will persevere during trials because he reigns. Right, that, that famous hymn, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he reigns, I can face tomorrow. He's the ruler of kings, verse five says. He's the first and the last. If you don't understand what that means, it's telling us that Jesus is God. What a beautiful name that is, Jesus. Earlier we were singing that about this Jesus. And even, even now, in just a few minutes, we're gonna sing that song, What a Beautiful Name It Is. There's a unique line in this song. It says, you didn't want heaven without us. To, to be clear, this is not saying that God doesn't want heaven if we're not there. That's thinking a lot of ourselves. It is saying that he doesn't want us to miss heaven. So because of that, he sent his son, Jesus. This one that we've been talking about with the fiery eyes, the white hair. This, this one, he came to be that propitiation, 
atonement, to pay the price for you. This is why we say that his name is beautiful, powerful, wonderful, because this Jesus is alive. This Jesus is infinitely wise. This Jesus is perfectly pure. This Jesus conquered sin and death and hell because he did, you can too. So would you choose to follow Jesus today? Would you hear this truth and choose to surrender your life to this one? the promised one, the one who's offered himself as a sacrifice on your behalf. You see, turn your life over to him. Stop trusting in your own ways, your, yourself, thinking that you're gonna be able to make it through on your own. That, and even though this, this time in life is hard or this thing that's going on is difficult, that, that you'll just eventually make it through. You just kind of, Put your head down and charge through. You can't make it through eternity on your own. So would you today, would you repent of that desire to, to lean so heavily on yourself and trust in Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Turn from your sin and trust in him today. Maybe even in your like, self right now, there's questions you have about that and it's stirring and you're not exactly sure what, what, what you need to do with all that's rolling around in your mind. Certainly there would be some of us even to my left here in this room that would love to talk to you more, but I'm telling you now, simply call out to Jesus, like actually speak to him. I need you. Your name is beautiful. And when I hear it, I, I want more of you to find yourself choosing to follow Jesus today. For those of you who know him, would you make sure that your hope is in Jesus? That your hope is not in yourself. Your hope is not in politics. Your hope is not in your job or your savings account or this, this people here, your hope is in Jesus, the living one, the conqueror of death. Jesus is the living example. He is the suffering savior and he is the reigning king. So would you join me now in giving him the worship and glory that he most richly deserves? Would you stand with me now as we respond to this one who has this beautiful name?
hope you'll join us again at five o'clock tonight for worship again as we start another new series on the life of Jacob. And just as we heard this Jesus described, who has no rival, who has no equal, if you've not been following him, like Pastor said, we will wait on you right over here. We'd love to talk to you before you leave today so that you can be following this King of Kings, this Lord of Lords. And for the rest of us who do know him, let's go out and tell someone the good news. Let's pray and we'll be sent out. Father, thank you for this morning of worship that you have given us. We thank you that we have a living Savior, a reigning King that we can serve. And Father, we just pray for anyone in this room who may not, uh, who may not have understood that, who may not be following you, that today would be the day that they would be rescued. And Father, for us, help us to be bold in our witness as we go out to tell people the good news of this Jesus, of this Christ who we serve. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. We'll see you tonight.